so what, what the problem is, is that we're filling our life with so much stuff, so much activity and so much digital noise that there isn't enough space for the rest of life. And we're, we're now we're starting to feel it at a really soul level, at a community level, at a workplace level, and people are longing for space and we need solutions to find it. Welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. My name is Paul Matthews and today I'm bringing you a discussion with Daniel C., He's an award-winning author, a TED talker, and just an all-round interesting bloke. Now, I wonder if you can cast your mind back to the end of last year, where I said that one of the things I wanted to focus on was preventing burnout amongst educators. I tell you, burnout seems to claim an ever-increasing number of victims as the years roll by, and as the complexity of education increases. It's really not uncommon, is it, to feel like you've got pressure from all sides, like your life is becoming overgrown and unmanageable. That's actually perhaps what Daniel would call clutter. And the antidote to this clutter, he says, is space. And that's what Daniel's first book is all about. It's entitled Space Makers, How to Unplug, Unwind and Think Clearly in the Digital Age. And I tell you, it's really struck a chord with readers as it's won over four awards. And although it was published back in 2021, It somehow managed to win an award just two weeks ago in America. Thinking about this sort of thing is a bit of a hobby of mine, actually. In fact, I'd say I'm a pretty handy amateur on these matters. Daniel, however, is a really serious pro, so I was really glad of his insights. I learnt a lot during this conversation. Now, it's no coincidence I've released this at the start of the term holidays. Many an educator is limping into the term break on their last legs. Now, if that's you, then this discussion has perhaps come at just the right time. As always, before we hit record, we prayed for you. We prayed that you would be able to unplug, unwind, and think clearly all to the glory of God. And of course, if you enjoy this episode and get value from it, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and share this discussion with those who you think would benefit from it. Well, Daniel C., welcome to the Christian Education Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. When you say great to be here, we are at your house. So in some ways, I am hosting this, but in a very real way, a much more real way, you are hosting this. Uh, I am, and it's it's bizarre just being in front of a person because most of the interviews I have for podcasts are international and I'm on Zoom. So this is weird. You're like three-dimensional and we can see each other. So that's great. You've done quite a few podcasts. I remember when Spacemaker came out, the book that we'll be discussing today, I think I remember reading somewhere that you said you were not going to turn down a podcast or you're going to try and do as many as possible. Is that right? Uh, my aim was to get 100 podcasts last year. So yes, that's what I did, which is good, as in speak on them. You got 100? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Wowee. You must have been one busy fellow. So that's one just under every four days. It's two a week. Wow. Did you have a hard time finding people who wanted to interview you or did you find you actually got more requests than you were able to handle? I definitely had to start by working out what to do and uh, eventually I found a few strategies and leads and probably by about the 50th or 60th people came to me, which was nice. Now, we first met actually, Daniel, when you were a church pastor and I was a young budding church planter. And safe to say there's been plenty of water under the bridge since then. I'm now in Christian education. Tell us, what are you doing with yourself these days? Yeah, so I was a pastor for 10 years and I still consider myself, you know, a minister, uh, disciple maker, but I'm doing it through business. So I write books. 
I, uh, I'm a productivity trainer and coach and consultant, so that's my profession, and I do a lot of speaking to help leaders think about why they live, why they work, and how they do what they do, and a whole lot of other stuff all related to that. And before we get into the content of your first book, Spacemaker, I want to ask you, I've had some friends who've written a book and they say, I was thinking about this stuff for a decade, I put pen to paper and it just poured out of me. And I've got other friends who say, it was like crawling over broken glass for two and a half years trying to get this book out of me. Where along the spectrum would you lie, do you think? Uh, probably both because I was crawling along broken glass for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> so I combined yeah. it all. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> It took seven years and it was very painful, uh, but I'm very grateful for it. My second book took me three months and I got it out the door in six. So I learned a lot in the first seven years. Well, that's going to be the subject of an upcoming podcast, but today we're going to talk about space makers. Now, Interestingly enough, you said in the introduction, and one of the things that you do that I love is you give the bottom line up front. That's a sales term. Um, we used to call it bluff when we we're in, in sales and marketing, the bottom line up front. And you've said in the very beginning of your book, Daniel, you said this book is essentially about space, the meaning and making of space. As I said, that's incredibly helpful because you've actually defined the solution for us there. But if we were to step back for a moment, what's the problem? What What's that a solution for? Yeah. Well, I think the, the problem is spacelessness, uh, if I'm being pretty simple about it. So we live in a culture where there's heaps of information, like we are bombarded by information, you know, audiobooks, podcasts, the internet, Wikipedia, um, <laughs> chat GPT. I mean, literally, there's so much we can learn. And many of us are bombarded by opportunities, you know, just open up your inbox in the morning and how many opportunities is someone asking you to take up? Uh, and, and yet, I think in our culture, what we're really lacking and what we're longing for deep down is more space. So we're missing space to think deeply, uh, space to rest fully, space to examine the inner life and think about who we are and where we're heading, uh, space to reconnect like in person like this with friends and actually have real person relationships. So, so what, what the problem is, is that we're filling our life with so much stuff, so much activity and so much digital noise that there isn't enough space for the rest of life and we're, we're now we're starting to feel it at a really soul level, at a community level, at a workplace level and people are longing for space and we need solutions to find it. It's funny that we always feel so busy. That's if you're a professional, if you're a stay-at-home mum, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, people are feeling so busy and the irony there is that we've got more quote-unquote time-saving technologies than ever yet we feel more fried. One of the phrases you used at the beginning of your, of your book was that you felt tired and wired. So you always felt a little bit cooked, but you also couldn't necessarily slow down enough to recharge fully. And that sort of leads me into my next question here. You mentioned actually a couple of times in the book that this book was a response to your own feelings of clutter and burnout. So can you share with us a little bit about what was going on in your life that led you just to feel so cooked? Yeah. Uh, well, I started writing a book. That ruined it. No, <laughs> no seriously, before that, uh, look, I've always been a type A personality. I love what I do for work. I have big dreams. 
I'm entrepreneurial, so I start stuff. So it's a bad combination for having space in your life. Uh, and I was a physiotherapist. That was my first career. I was managing a bunch of services in physio. I was doing heaps of church work and then moving into being a church pastor part-time. Uh, I had this side hustle called Space Makers, which was really just about helping people manage their email at the time. And I started getting breathing difficulties and uh, I started getting breathless in the morning uh, and then breathless when I was in front of people uh, and then eventually breathless just being at the table or reading books to my kids. And I, th I did all the tests with the doctors. There was nothing wrong with my heart or lungs. And he asked about my lifestyle and it's like, yeah, I think this might be anxiety. And it didn't feel what I thought anxiety would feel like, but he was right. And... I'm not a superhero and this is in my 30s so this is 15 years ago and I was like okay there's more to life than the way I'm living and I need to think about the value of space so that's where space came in uh, but since then what I've noticed in my life and the leaders I coach we're all cooked now uh, and obviously there's a certain personality and a certain drive that makes you particularly busy but I think part of the problem is now that not only is society sped up and not only is work sped up uh, but we are now overcooking our digital technologies to the point where there simply isn't enough room in life because we're filling it with constant online activity and it's really impacting our health and our happiness. And so Spacemaker is kind of a combination of the lessons I learned back then about rhythms and patterns of rest and thought and relationship, but then applying them based on the new research and experiences around how we're particularly spaceless because of digital overuse. So you actually found that you were so busy, you had so much on that it was impacting you, not just on a mental level, you didn't just feel cluttered upstairs, you were having trouble breathing. So on, on a basic physiological level, this was affecting you. And it almost, it sort of ran an end run around your brain. You, your brain didn't even really know what was going on. Your body started to feel it before your mind caught on in a way. When you share that story, is that something you find Actually, more people than you realise can relate to that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think, but look, I, I'm guessing it's not a, you know, based on research, but I, look, I've, I've shared this story with a few people. A lot of people have heart problems, so they start to feel like chest pain when they get nervous or worried. Other people have just this general sense of anxiety, so fight, flight, freeze. Uh, you know, there are so many different expressions of feeling like you're cooked, like you said. Uh, but I think the aim is to not, get to the point where we're on the edge of being cooked you know it's it's actually to recognize that life doesn't have to be so fast and, and you know from my faith background that we have a purpose uh, and an identity that's far beyond our work and if we really grasp that well then we have the ability to live a different life and to create different patterns in our life uh, whether it be digital or non-digital. It's an interesting scene I don't know if you've ever seen Seinfeld where Kramer gets stuck in a solarium and he hops out and he says, stick a fork in me, Jerry, I'm done. And I don't have the breathlessness, but I get an eye twitch. Um, again, I don't feel anxious, but if I sense my eyes just going for it up there, I go, I'm talking to Jerry, I'm saying, stick a fork in me, man, I'm done for a little while, I need to hit the brakes. The Christian Education Podcast is brought to you by Teaching in Tassie. At Christian Education National Schools in Tassie, you can make a difference. You have the freedom to express your faith and values, of course, with Jesus right at the centre. Tasmania's beautiful environment has space to breathe. We have amazing food and wine, wilderness to explore. There's an adventure right on your doorstep. There are endless opportunities. 
I've got to tell you, it's almost perfect. To sign up or learn more, visit teachingintassie.com.au and you'll be the first to know when there's a career available. Who knows? It may just have your name on it. Let's get back to the discussion. We're finding that people are busy and what you're saying is it's not just your CEO in the office 80 hours a week sort of characters. I myself being an educator in a Christian school, we actually have quite a reasonable workload. Now that's going to vary depending on who you talk to, but we're by and large not doing 80 or 90 hour weeks. But what we might be doing is cruising to work, uh, listening to a podcast, and when we get home from work, we're flicking on the news. And after that, we're having a phone call with someone or we're scrolling our feed. Do you think we're actually in some ways simulating the really busy, cluttered lifestyle of someone who's working 80 hours a week, even just in the way that we're experiencing our leisure time or our time off work? Yeah, look, and I think that's a, that's a really, really good question. To think about what does leisure look like and what does it mean to actually truly rest from your work. So on the one hand, yes, it is different than truly doing an 80-hour week that I see in some of the kind of execs that I coach. And yet, uh, I totally agree with you that there is this sense where um, we are working online, we're resting online. And I mean, you're a knowledge worker just like I am. You know, you're not paid to like dig, dig dirt and build roads. So you're actually built to to, like you're paid to think and to to create and to teach and to imagine stuff in your mind. And that's a really, really important concept when it comes to rest because uh, what I realized, just like you said, is I would be online, I'd be on Zoom, I'd be scrolling the internet, I'd be typing and communicating on a screen for work. And then I would come home and I would be typing and being on a screen and flicking through the emails or, or flicking through the internet and then communicating as well. And I realized that the brain can't tell the difference between Outlook and Instagram, that from a neuro, neurological processing point of view, the brain is still experiencing this kind of the same uh, repetitive patterns and behaviors that are actually wiring us up. And so our brains aren't resting. And interestingly, the brain uses up up to 25, uh, I think 25 plus percent of the body's energy. Um, some, some say, I think, up to or 30 percent or more. And so if you don't actually rest your brain as a knowledge worker, well, then you're not resting. And that's why I came to the conclusion, oh, yeah, if if we're on like the average Australian is on 9.4 hours a day and office workers 12 hours a day of the Internet, 12 hours a day is the average uh, young people go up more than that. And so we're actually never resting. Uh, we're never resting our brain, which, which is why I went all the way for something like Sabbath, is why I turn off my devices every week, simply because if I don't disconnect from the internet, well, then I can't actually rest my brain, so I can't unplug from work <laughs> because they're all interconnected. Does that make sense? So that, I think, answers what you were saying and what you've picked up. It absolutely does. And I came across a quote a while back that said, it's the wise people who rest at least as hard as they work. And it's funny how you seek, especially in the education profession, I'm not sure we take ourselves seriously as knowledge workers. We can sometimes feel that we might be halfway there. It's in some ways quite procedural, and in other ways it requires that higher order thinking. But I found my teaching improved dramatically if I spend extended periods away from the screen, if I'm very diligent with, um, you know, how early I'm turning off my devices, and so on, and so on. 
Now, to return to your book, um, and you mentioned a bit of neuroscience there, your book is actually full of that sort of stuff. So we're not necessarily going to cover that ground, but that's one of the things that people, when they buy space makers, will find. This is, it's not just Daniel C's ideas. Um, you did a, quite a lot of research into this. Oh yeah, there's, there is, I mean, there's massive amounts of, at the end, there's just page after page of research articles. This is a science background that I came from with physiotherapy. Um, but even if we don't go into stuff, I, can I just give one simple analogy? Please. Beyond the research. Uh, that like when I was a kid, I practiced the piano, which is what well, my parents paid for piano lessons, which is more accurate. And um, they wanted me to practice 15 minutes a day. And yet we fought like cats and dogs yeah. as you do as a kid. Uh, but after, you know, five, six years, I could play some pieces without sheet music, you know, a bit of Chopin and Mozart. I wasn't great, but I, I could do it and I enjoyed it. And I thought differently my mind uh, enjoyed the music and I became a musical person. Mm -hmm. And that's, so that's neuroplasticity where the brain changes based on what you habitually do. But what's interesting is if you think about it, we're now practicing the internet 9.6 hours a day mm -hmm. or 9.4 or the average office worker more. Uh, so imagine if you were to take a sport or a language or an art or a musical instrument and practice it for 65 hours a week or 9.4 hours a day, yeah. what would that do to your brain? But we don't think of practicing the internet like that. And that is exactly what most of us are doing. And therefore it is deeply impacting our sense of self, the wiring of our brain, our ability to focus, our ability to concentrate, to have meaningful face-to-face -face relationships, to examine the self, to have self-regulation. Like all these inner things that are changing in us are not actually just inner things. Our brain is changing with internet practice. And we need to know that and then think about how to balance that in our lives. And I can tell you what, Daniel, we teachers are practicing the internet like you wouldn't believe. So it used to be that a teacher would have their chronicle. There's a big book, they'd have their five different subjects in there and they'd have their lesson plans written out and they might have a few of their sheets in the back and they'd photocopy them. It's not like that anymore. In fact, the other day I rocked up to work, realised I'd left my laptop at home and I thought, oh, I'll just do all the things I can do offline and then I'll go home and get it. I spent maybe two and a half minutes trying to think of things that I could do without a computer and I, I came up with nothing but fresh air. There was not a single thing. So I, I, I get to work and I fire up the laptop and it's basically what I am doing if I'm not in front of a class. And even then, I'm often doing it too. So we are practicing like you wouldn't believe. And I'm interested to see what all that uh, use of technology might be costing us. Because really interestingly, in your book, your framing question, the question you were in many ways embarking to answer, was how do I make space in the clutter of life to be highly productive and deeply human? And when I read that, I thought, that's a fantastic question. That's a, that's a question that we should all be asking ourselves. But I did have another question based on that question. Could you explain to us how being surrounded by clutter is not only robbing us all of our productivity, which I think we all understand by now, but how is being surrounded by clutter actually also robbing us of our humanity? Mm, that's a good question. I might answer this theologically. Well, I don't know if it's very theological, but I, I, we, the, the, there is an end time, and we hope that we will be with Jesus. We might say heaven or the end of the age, where heaven comes to earth and there is a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, I have a particular view about that. I do think there'll be a tangible reality. We're not just fairies or angels, you know, Absolutely. singing in the air. Uh, but 
whatever that reality looks like, in the kingdom of God, when heaven comes to earth, there isn't going to be endless email notifications. Uh, there's not going to be infinity scrolling with social media. Yeah. Uh, there's not going to be kind of hurried, frantic work where we go from one meeting to the next to the next and can't breathe. Like there's going to be space. There's going to be space to think deeply, I imagine, and to wonder at God and to listen to his voice and to connect with people who matter. You know, the, the, there'll be space to enjoy nature and space to be silent and space to just be slow when you eat and thank God as you eat. Does that make sense? Like the stuff that... So, so, so to answer your question, if you take away space from your life and you fill it with frantic busyness and hurry, I think you miss out on the life that God has intended for us. And so anything that isn't the image of what the future is meant to be is something that we should be fighting against and pushing into in this day and age. Um, so I don't usually answer like that, but um, what do you reckon about that? I think it's a fantastic answer. And I think in Romans... It uses the language of suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Now, that's not what we're all doing. Um, there are many of us who, by God's grace, um, have become Christians. We believe in Christ. We trust in him. However, we're still suppressing something, and I think we're suppressing some of the greatest capacities God has given us. So I'm taking that idea of suppressing. It's like holding a beach ball under the water is a metaphor I've heard before. Um, and it's amazing how I think many of the great things that God has created us to do, whether that's to think deeply, to enjoy rich friendships, to marvel at creation, all these fantastic capacities that we have that your dog or a lizard or your neighbor's cat might not be able to do. You know, we've been given these massive gifts and we lose the ability to think deeply or to engage in deep relationships or marvel at creation if we're glued to the phone or if we're stuck on the laptop or if we're sitting in front of the telly constantly. And so what does that mean? It means that um, we are, in some senses, depriving ourselves of the very things that make us human. And even on a sort of, you go to a school camp, for example. I love school camps because you say, no phones. And you mean it and you flog the phones if you see them. And you take a phone out of these year nine's hands for seven and a half minutes in a beautiful, starry Tasmanian night sky. And it's not too long before their eyes start drifting upwards and they start thinking big thoughts. They're actually re-engaging with their humanity. Mm, I love it. Look, when I, I do parenting seminars based on my newest book with the uh, with what well, Raising Tech Healthy Humans, Humans, which is about humanity, raising humans, you know, and I usually start with the question, well, think about the best parts of your life when you're a kid, what were they? Uh, and I asked my kids and they said it was like, I said, what are the best moments of your life so far? And they're like, they said the most mundane things. Like I once jumped on the trampoline with my neighbor and it was super fun. Mm. <laughs> I like, I took them to Disneyland and that's what they came up with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I went bushwalking or I played mini golf and remember that time where the ball got stuck in the net. Wasn't that, th wasn't that funny? That all the examples were real and they were relational. They were often spiritual or outdoors. Uh, and, and that's what we remember at the end of our life as the best moments. So they're the, they're the moments that are soul-filled <laughs> and full of goodness. And so I suppose the question is, why do we need space? And what's the problem with clutter? Well, the problem is if, if we fill our mind with just endless emails and endless scrolling on social media, we actually rob ourselves of the time we could spend looking out at the stars, jumping on the trampoline, you know, playing 
mini golf with their kids or or simply reading a book um, or just being silent. Does that make sense? You know, even in the morning, people wake up, they reach for their phone, there's no space to be silent. They literally scroll email straight away. I used to do that. And at the end of the day, I found myself, I'm in bed next to my wife and we're not even talking to each other. The love of my life is there next to me. We finally got a moment without the kids and we're both scrolling our phones in our bed. So that's robbing ourselves of the life that God has for us and the relationships we could have. And so that's what being a space maker is about. So it's a very attractive possibility that you're holding out to us here, Daniel. You're saying... Here lies an opportunity for you as a human being to re-engage with your humanity. God has created us in a really majestic, special way. And we can give that majesty and that special nature a real haircut if we're just scrolling the phone constantly. Um, He's also created us to work. We looked at Ten Commandments and we say six days. Six days you shall work and one day you shall rest. God has a certain idea of work and rest. So what you're holding out to us here, in a sense, is you're saying you can re-engage with your humanity, you can be productive also, like you were created to do. How do we go about doing that? It's not so easy because one of the lines in your book that I loved was that this is not going to happen by accident. Making space does not happen by accident. So can you tell us, if if you had to give um, the average educator some goals, a few things to do, even if we were just taking baby steps. What might we do to be able to make space in our lives? Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I love I love what you mentioned about, you know, six days and one because, I mean, we're meant to love work and value it and, and use it and also rest. Uh, and I'm not anti-tech. That's really important to mention. You know, I use tech all the time. I run a business which is basically online. <laughs> uh, so I'm so thankful for what technology gives us and the ability for us to work in creative and beautiful ways as a result. So that's kind of an assumption that we're doing that. But the focus is on the rest bit. Um, and I would say to answer your question, not only do we work for six days and rest for one, we actually have it in the other order. Because in the Jewish tradition, what we see in the Old Testament is we start with rest. You know, the very first day of Adam and Eve was a day of rest because sure. it was God's seventh day. Yeah. So we begin with rest and we end with work. The Jews start with Sabbath. That's the first day of the week. And then they work. So the first thing I would say is it's not so much about how much time you're spending working versus resting necessarily within reason. It's about the order by which you shape your life. Are you giving God the first fruits of your time? Are you putting in space first, space for worship, space for rest, space for thought and the things that you know he puts on your heart and then allowing work to flow around that? Or are you working until you're exhausted and harrowed and when you're smashed, you just suddenly say, now it's time for a break. So, mm. the, so putting God first with the first fruits of your time is the Sabbath principle. Um, and, and so to do that very practically, I think exactly start small. Uh, so look, a Sabbath, a day off, a full day off where you plan it and you structure it and you consider your tech habits, that's a hard habit. That's the hardest of all the space maker habits, even though I think it's the most biblical and it really impacts life. But a simple one could be charge your phone outside of your bedroom and don't wake up to your phone and suddenly reach for the internet. But create a daily pause before and after you, you know, at the start and end of the day. So bookend your day with a bit of space for prayer, for thankfulness, to, to journal or, or read your Bible or pray. Uh, even if it's 15 minutes before you actually suddenly enter the online world, that's a game changer. Um, now, and if that means you need to find an old-fashioned alarm clock or 
or get an old iPhone that you don't use, a smartphone with no internet and just have it as your alarm clock, but nothing else. Like there are creative ways you can do it, but that's putting God first <laughs> and, and silence first in your day as a bookend, even if it's only a small amount and you're on tech for like seven, eight hours after that. It, it's the order that matters. And there's a whole lot of practices in my book that kind of build on those type of ideas. Your book is immensely practical and I love it for that reason. One of the things I've done, and this is something that I cannot tell enough people about, I love telling people about this, I got a sunlight alarm. So I got the phone out of the room, yeah, that, that can get out of there. One of my mates said that the bedroom's for two things and none of it is watching Instagram reels. So I, I tend to be a wholehearted subscriber to that ideology. I want to know what the two things are, but this is a PG podcast, keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's right, we're going to move swiftly on. Um, however, yeah, sunlight alarm. So what it does is it, it the, the, there's no noise, because we all know how rude that iPhone alarm is. There's no noise. What it does is it just starts by flicking a little light on and then it gradiates up in intensity. I tell you, it's a heck of a way to wake up. So I, I find that to be good. It gets the phone out of the bedroom. And yeah, you get to start the day with a bit of space. As you said, it's a complete game changer. And speaking of this, it's worth making a point here. Many educators have a hard time in education. And I think it's a truth worth telling that most of what shapes our experience in, in education as educators, is actually stuff that we're doing outside of our time at school. It's, it's how we wake up. It's how we go to sleep. It's how we move our body. It's how we connect with our friends. All those sorts of things drastically shape the way that we engage with our profession, yet they're not things that happen while we're doing our profession. So that's where this idea of making space is so important. Now, Let's come to an unpopular teaching of yours. I say it's unpopular because people approach this sort of thing like it costs them teeth often. You talk about a digital detox. Now, um, I, I, a friend of mine left his phone at home the other week. He came to work, did a full day without his phone. And I've got to tell you, he, he just about sweat through his blazer by the second hour of the day. He was not in a calm way without his phone. He, he loves his phone. He uses it all the time. Um, so many people when they're not with their device, feel quite agitated. And then they're going, hang on, you want me to do two days or 10 days without social media? I had to do it for one day and it hurt so badly. How would you suggest people go about a digital detox and what are going to be the benefits of that? Mm, no, great. <laughs> Give me the unpopular questions. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> uh, so look, firstly, in terms of the, the language, I call a digital detox something where you're having, let's say, five days off of tech, as opposed to a digital Sabbath, which is your every day, every, every week kind of full day off. But people have different terms that they use. Uh, the reason I think a digital detox is useful is a bit like why I think it's fantastic to have an annual leave holiday for a few weeks. It just, it defrags you and it takes you out of your normal environment. I mean, how many of us come back from work after two weeks away and we think, actually, I, I need to think my rethink my priorities and focus more on my kids and get fit again. You know, like you, it's almost like the New Year's resolution kind of uh, effect because you've exited normal life and you've had enough space to suddenly realize there's more to life than the way I was living. And that's really useful. And I think a digital detox has the same type of thing. Now, yes, it's, it's painful, uh, but it's also beautiful. Um, it, to, to, we would go away for five days a year, a few times, 
definitely once, sometimes twice, and we have very little tech. I've definitely had like weeks and weeks of no tech. I go more hardcore than my family, uh, but we remove ourselves from the internet. And it, it's it takes a while to get used to what, like you said, what do you do when you don't have the weather to check, <laughs> when you don't have uh, messages coming through, when you have no notifications? Well, then it's like, oh, I need to remember what it looks like to be human, to walk on the beach and to ride bikes and to make pancakes mm. and to kind of lie in bed and, I don't know, have pillow fights. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And But when you remember it, it's like, wow, <laughs> this is actually really fun and I enjoy it. Uh, and then, yeah, so, so I think, I don't know, I, I think a digital detox, it's not as hard as you think, but it requires a bit of planning and a bit of structure and a, and a plan for why and how you won't check your devices. Uh, I don't think a digital detox is as useful as a digital Sabbath. I think it's good as a kind of a heart check and it's, it's like a defrag and it helps you rethink what you'd like to do. But it's the everyday habits that are daily and weekly that will sustain a healthy rhythm and a, a healthy space-making pattern that is motivated by the broader detox. Does that make sense? Makes a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, I, I try and work in a few patterns into my life. This is something I started taking fairly seriously about four or five years ago. Um, it arose out of some of our discussions. I read a book called Deep Work by Cal Newport, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, and just talking with experienced, mature Christians who had been very successful in their professions and yet didn't cost them their family, it didn't cost them their health, they seem to have it all. And you go, well, what's going on here? And one of the guys I talked to, who I admire greatly, he's, he showed me this diagram of concentric circles that he had. So he had um, one hour off a day, and then he had one day off a week. And then he had one month off a year. And then to bring in this biblical uh, sort of numerology, he had one year off every seven years. And it's something that stood him in really good stead. Now, not all of us will be able to do that, can't take one month off a year, probably, if you don't work for yourself. But you can take one month off tech every year. And that's what I try and do every January. Um, so I, I try and do one hour without tech a day, one day uh, every Sunday without tech. And that arose from our discussions a while back. And then one month a year without it. And I tell you what, I, f I start to feel like the constant feed or checking um, my inbox or checking my messages, all the information is like, it is like a downwards pressure. And when that goes away, after a day or two, all these things start actually floating up. There's nothing suppressing them anymore. And like the ideas you were talking about earlier, oh man, I should do this um, with my class or I really have to connect with this person again. Ideas can actually float to the surface when they're not being beat down, beaten down with all this information they were constantly taking in. I love I love that. I mean, it's um, what you're doing is exactly what I'm what what I see as as necessary. That you that is giving God the first fruit of your time, first fruit of your attention, and trusting that the rest will flow. Uh, because because we'll never be in a situation where we're not busy, where we have time to rest, where we have time to turn off our tech. Like it's it's a choice that we need to make and it's a choice that we make in faith. So being a type A, I run my business. When I turn off for Sabbath, it's super hard because I've mm. often still got heaps of emails I haven't finished and tasks I'd love to do and there's clients emailing me in the night from other countries, you know, like I, there's always more I could do for work. But to, to disconnect and switch off, I, I know that I'm 
trusting that God is Lord of my time, which means he's Lord of my life, and I'm, and I'm allowing him to, to do more with my six days than I can do with my seven. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's exactly what you've described, uh, trusting God to disconnect in order to actually allow some independence from your tools so therefore you can enjoy them even more. And that's the thing. I think the best kept secret of this whole thing is that when we actually live according to God's pattern and God's design, we live a far more fruitful life. I'm a big believer in the fact that you could get more done in a month if you worked every day, but you could not get more done in five years if you worked every day. Someone would be trying to mop you up off the floor after about three and a half years. Um, now, we've had a great discussion. We've touched on a lot of the high points of your book, Space Makers. However, as I said, it's intensely practical and it comes with a lot of resources. If I was to lob you a real softball that you can swing as hard as you like at, um, why should people buy this book? If you are uncomfortable with how much time you spend online, you need to be online for work, for church, for life, for faith, for family, but there is this growing sense that it's starting to take over your life and becoming your master rather than you mastering it. Or if you start to see the signs of digital overuse, you know, less attention, less focus, finding it harder to focus on the kids or the friends around you, you know, all those kind of internal um expressions that you're practicing the internet too much well then that's what the book's about it's about changing your mindset and deeply reflecting on your relationship with the online world from many perspectives uh, and then once we change our paradigm we change our principles so what are the principles that actually shape a healthy life and then of course the practices so um yeah if if you really want to change or at least you're at that point of contemplating change and you know it's worth nudging you in that direction to live a better life and to live a more faithful life, well then, yeah, I'd, I'd pick up the book. Oh, look, so would I. In fact, I did, and one of the things I liked the most about it was that in the appendices, out the back, you had some really clear worked examples. Everyone likes the idea of space. Everyone likes the idea of being more well-rested. But actually, trying to push that idea out into the corners, well, that's the tough stuff. And you've done a lot of the heavy lifting for us there, I think, because as I look at the back and the appendices, um, it's very practical within the book, but out the back, you also have a set of questions that people can answer. You've got your actual routine. You've got a little window into your life and what you do and, and what you do with your family. So I, I commend it to our listeners as an immensely informative but practical book at the same time. Well, Daniel C., it has been absolutely enlightening and enlivening talking to you. If people have a craving, if they want to find out uh, more of what you've got to say, where can they go to hear from you? Yeah, look, um, my website is spacemakers.com.au, spacemakers plural, which is my business rather than the singular, which is the book. Uh, so look, have a look. I do productivity coaching. There's a blog post with lots of stuff on it. And you can download a free digital Sabbath guide if you want to just take that idea and work out how might you plan a day off uh, without technology. There's heaps there you can get for free as well. Beautiful. Thank you very much. And I wish you God's richest blessing in your future endeavors. Thanks, Paul.